there's tens of thousands of deaths that have been uh, attributed to to the COVID-19 vaccines. And yet, uh, you know, the officials will say, well, the VAERS report isn't isn't proof. Uh, you know, anyone can submit reports and it's they're basically ignoring it. I'm a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, according to the most recent data published by the government of Alberta, deaths from quote-unquote unknown causes became the leading killer in the province claiming more lives than heart disease, diabetes, and strokes combined. In 2021, when compared to pre-pandemic data, the total number of deaths without a known cause is a staggering seven times higher than pre-COVID. This is not happening because of the virus, and it's not happening because people are, are, are doing anything other than having been injected with these COVID-19 vaccines, these drugs. Um, and so we should be, we should all be very, very concerned about this. And many of us are, although we're not getting the information that we need to know. Uh, the medical profession is not being honest with us and forthright with us about uh, what's causing these deaths and these injuries. So what we've done today in Gray Matter is we brought to you someone who is an expert in this area. He's a medical doctor, Dr. William Mackus. And he's here to tell us, to illuminate uh, for us some of what is going on and give us some of the truth about what's happening. He's been speaking out about this and publishing broadly at great personal cost and professional uh, prejudice. And uh, so we're grateful to have him here on the program. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Mackis. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Um, now, before we get into the, the conversation proper, as we always do, we're going to frame the conversation with a few aphorisms. Um, some of these might be familiar to people. The first one is from uh, uh, former President Donald J. Trump, who's in, in a little bit more trouble these days down in the U.S., but uh, he was uh, the overseer, let's say, of Operation Warp Speed, and he was quoted as saying, we will distribute a vaccine. We will defeat the virus, strange phrasing. We will end the pandemic. The man who was present before him, Barack Obama, said this, he says, I will be taking it, the vaccine, and I may take it on TV so people know that I trust this science. What I don't trust is getting COVID. Next, from Dr. Tedros uh, Ghebreyes, uh, the Director General of the World Health Organization. He was quoted as saying, vaccines are one of our most important tools for preventing outbreaks and keeping the world safe. While most children today are being vaccinated, far too many are left behind. Unacceptably, it's often those who are most at risk, the poorest, the most marginalized, those touched by conflict or forced from their homes who are persistently missed. And finally, from our government. This is what they said. This is back when they introduced the COVID-19 vaccines. The first COVID-19 vaccine trial started over a year ago. They continued to be safe and effective. For a vaccine to be authorized for use, it must be tested for safety over several months. Any serious adverse events from a vaccine 
while very rare, usually happen within a few months, so these would all be identified by now. And in bold, all the vaccines available in Canada are safe and effective. Safety and efficacy are continuously monitored. So who do we have in the show today? Well, Dr. William Mackis. He obtained a four-year undergraduate degree in immunology at the University of Toronto, his medical degree at McGill University in Montreal, and a five-year medical specialization in nuclear medicine, radiology, and oncology. He worked for Alberta Health Services at Cross Cancer Institute as the head of the Medical Isotope Cancer Treatment Program and was assistant professor in the Department of Radiology at the University of Alberta. He's also the author of over 100 peer-reviewed publications in international medical journals. So Dr. Mackis, perhaps you could take us back to the time when you were at the Cross Cancer Institute uh, when the pandemic was first declared and what your thought process was at that time. Well, interestingly, I um, my cancer program at Alberta Health Services was sabotaged before the pandemic by really? the Alberta NDP government of Rachel Notley and the uh, Trudeau uh, federal government uh, officials who were appointed by uh, the provincial government at Alberta Health Services had decided to to sabotage my program, have it shut down in Alberta so they could uh, rebuild it in British Columbia with federal money, with Justin Trudeau investing over $300 million into it uh, starting in 2018. Incredible. So this happened before the pandemic, and there was a, there was a very significant push by the federal liberals to invest into pharmaceutical companies in British Columbia. Uh, in fact, there is a, a multi-city block complex being built uh, close to Vancouver called Innovation Boulevard, uh, where mm -hmm. there's a lot of pharmaceutical companies that are opening their offices there. Uh, again, all of this is funded by federal money. So the federal government had invested heavily into cancer treatments, um, into what they're calling precision medicine uh, so medicine tailored to the individual, again, most of it being cancer. Now, once the pandemic hit, of course, then we found out that the liberals had invested heavily into mRNA technology and vaccines. Um, so um, I had been in a legal battle with Alberta Health Services for several years. Um, my practice was sabotaged. Um, I was offered a $400,000 bribe to sign a non-disclosure agreement and basically leave leave Alberta. Um, I have a lawsuit that I had filed that was uh, supposed to give up that lawsuit in exchange for the $400,000 bribe, sign non-disclosure agreements and leave Alberta. When I refused, uh, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta took my medical license hostage and, and have been, you know, threatening my family, threatened my kids um, and had been, you know, basically harassing me ever since. So I was put into a, a bit of a forced retirement uh, before the pandemic hit. So once the pandemic hit, I was really an outsider to the medical establishment at that point. And so I watched the pandemic unfold as an outsider. Um, I was really not subject to the propaganda that was being pushed heavily on healthcare workers, doctors and nurses. And, mm -hmm. you know, when they rolled out the COVID-19 vaccines, um, you know, the healthcare workers were targeted very aggressively. At first, you know, the healthcare workers were encouraged to be the first ones to line up for the COVID-19 vaccines. And then, of course, um, they came out with the COVID-19 vaccine mandates 
to ensure that those who did not want the vaccine were forced into it or would lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I stood up against the COVID-19 vaccine mandates. I co-signed a letter that had been um, co-signed by hundreds of healthcare workers at Alberta Health Services who were refusing the COVID-19 vaccine. And of course, as a result of co-signing that letter, I was threatened by the college. Uh, They said they would put that on my permanent record. In fact, every doctor in Alberta was threatened uh, for standing up against the COVID-19 vaccine mandates. So, and, and you know, I've been threatened by AHS lawyers, by the college lawyers. Uh, they're continually trying to attack me in the courts uh, and really have me silenced. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that uh, I actually faced two emergency injunctions, court injunctions filed by Alberta Health Services to have uh, my Twitter account suspended, uh, to have me silenced, and to have my charter rights to freedom of expression suspended by the court. Now the was court, that during was that during the pandemic, Doctor Macus? That, that was during. Yeah, that was that was during the pandemic. So now you the, you had talked about just sorry, I just want to get this straight. So you said something very interesting about about uh, the Trudeau government investing heavily into mRNA technology. Is that related to the story that has been uh, widely publicized by Doctor David Martin about the connection between uh, Justin Trudeau and the Acuitas company, or is that something different? It's something different. I'm aware of, of Dr. Uh, uh, David Martin's work um, on, you know, Acuitas and, and the other pharmaceutical companies that were involved, um, I believe, in the lipid nanoparticle technology right. yeah. for the mRNA vaccines. Um, I'm, I'm more broadly referring to the uh, mRNA uh, vaccine factory that um, oh, is built in Quebec. And I believe there's another one planned for British Columbia. And, and mm. you know, that was uh, the building of that has has started. And that's with with federal funding. I have to ask you, though, what, what made you refuse? the That was pretty that was a that was a pretty juicy bribe. What what made you say say no to that? Uh, that, that took a lot of integrity. Well, it, it basically, you know, it meant that I, I would abandon all of my cancer patients. Um, I was treating end-stage cancer patients in Edmonton, Alberta. I had the largest program in Canada for medical isotopes. We were curing about 85 to 90% of patients with end-stage cancer. Uh, oh, with that's endocrine remarkable. Cancer. Wow. And, and unfortunately, uh, what had happened was the technology started expanding from rare cancers to common cancers like prostate and breast. And that's when the Trudeau government jumped in, uh, saw the opportunity of making billions of dollars on this new technology, which is far superior to chemotherapy and even external radiation therapy. This is these are basically injections, IV injections with a radioactive molecule tagged to a protein that delivers the radiation directly to the tumor cells as a receptor on the cell. It kills the cell and then the radiation dissolves. It doesn't damage surrounding healthy tissues. So this is a new technology that has tremendous mm-hmm. profit potential. I was curing cancer patients for free. Of course, it was uh, covered by you know the public health and health Canada. Right. Uh, but the Trudeau government had decided to monopolize this technology and invest heavily into it. And this was before the pandemic. Uh, now, since then, mm-hmm. of course, you know we don't hear much about uh, investment in cancer treatments. Uh, of course, we know that Pfizer just uh, spent forty-three billion dollars acquiring. A cancer treatment company recently, 
but you know, the, the focus right now, of course, is on mRNA vaccines. And the Trudeau Liberal government, I mean, not only have they bought 10 doses of mRNA vaccines for every man, woman, and child in Canada, you know, but they're building mRNA factories despite the fact that the demand for mRNA vaccines has completely collapsed. So uh, this is really, really fascinating, but it begs the question. I guess the question is why? Why are they doing this? Obviously, there's a there's a financial incentive, but I mean, is it is it worse than that? It, because um, it, everybody who's paying attention uh, and who's not wearing a blindfold understands that these mRNA drugs are are killing people. They're causing premature deaths, especially. Um, so, is that part of it? Like, is it actually possible, doctor, that these mRNA uh, technologies are being used? to reduce, quote unquote, the surplus population? Or is that simply a, a bug and not a feature of the mRNA drugs? You know, that's an interesting thought. Um, I think the financial incentive is clear. Uh, you know, I think Pfizer and Moderna have made hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, and anyone who has invested, you know, has has made a lot of money. Now, mm. when it comes to what are the other possible reasons behind the push uh, and really trying to get the mRNA vaccine into every arm. This has been aggressive. It has been aggressively rolled out in kids who were not at risk for COVID-19. And, you know, I kind of stop at um, at the idea of um, that there there is definitely malice behind the push to vaccinate everybody. This is no longer uh, well, we know, we know it wasn't for our health, uh, especially since young people and kids were at almost zero risk right. of hospitalization or death from COVID-19. Um, but there is definite malice. And I kind of ended there. You know, it, it's I, I try not to get too deep into, let's say, conspiracy theories. Sure, uh, to sure. me, the, the, the malice is clear when they when the health authorities refused uh, vaccine exemptions. And mm. vaccine exemptions for severe reactions were denied. Religious exemptions for the vaccines were denied. I mean, we had university students who are doing online classes who are being forced to take the vaccine or they would be kicked out of the university. And that made absolutely no sense. If you have right. someone who's taking an online course, they're of no danger to anybody and the university is still forcing them to take the COVID-19 vaccine or be kicked out of, out of school, to me, that is clear evidence of malice. This is mm -hmm. no longer incompetence. This is no longer, oops, you know, we thought the vaccines were safe and they aren't. This mm -hmm. is, there's malice behind this, and I kind of leave it at that. Was there ever a, an honest uh, belief that the vaccines were safe and effective, or was that always fraudulent, in your opinion? Well, it depends who, you know, who you're talking about. So if we're talking about the vast majority of doctors, I actually believe the vast majority of doctors believe this vaccine is safe and effective. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, what leads me to that belief is the fact that all of my colleagues who have taken the vaccine, they have actually given the vaccine to their kids. They've given it to their loved ones. They've given it, they post pictures of, of, of giving it to their kids. You see these pictures all over the internet of doctors vaccinating their kids. Uh, so I think the vast majority of doctors did believe truly that the vaccines were safe and effective. 
As far as the politicians are concerned or the public health authorities, I, I don't know. I honestly don't mm. know what the thought processes were. Um, you know, I, I can tell you as a, as a, my personal uh, assessment of the vaccines in the beginning um, was that this was a new technology. Uh, I knew about lipid nanoparticles and mRNA as an oncologist. I knew that these were technologies that were designed for end stage cancer patients to deliver chemotherapy all over the body. I mean, that was the, that was the goal right. one of the goals of the lipid nanoparticles was to deliver chemo all over the body. Uh, and I know that there were inherent risks with that because you couldn't control where those lipid nanoparticles would be delivered. Uh, it was basically a systemic delivery. And now we know that the mRNA is delivered all over the body, that the spike protein is found all over the body. We know that from the biodistribution studies from Pfizer itself. Um, so I knew that the technology hadn't been fully worked out. Uh, and I was, I was shocked that it was actually rolled out in the broad population with these risks, you know, that were fairly known to, I would say, most physicians. But even I didn't uh, anticipate uh, some of the horrific vaccine injuries and, and the tsunami of deaths that we would see, you know, a year and two later. Uh, I didn't realize how bad it would be myself. And so I, you know, I think most physicians had no idea that these would be as would have such a bad side effect profile as they've been shown mm. to have. But it, it, of course, in the aftermath of what's been now called the Pfizer dump, and in the face of, of uh, really all of these deaths, I, I said off the top of the show, now unknown causes is the leading cause of death in Alberta. Uh, it's increased sevenfold since uh, before the vaccines were rolled out. And we had uh, Dr. Roger Hodkinson on this program. You probably know, know him or know of him. Yeah. He said that uh, as a general rule with a pharmaceutical, uh, they're usually recalled after about 30 deaths. And, he, and yet now we have uh, reported uh, cases of many thousands of deaths, but these, these vaccines are still being pushed. They're still being injected into children. Um, they, and, and so, and, and, and people are not being told the truth, uh, by doctors. The truth is being suppressed. Doctors are, uh, I suppose, uh, under a, a sort of gag order and they, they risk, uh, censure or the loss of their, of their license as you suffered. If they, if they reveal to patients, uh, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, that, that a person's, that a loved one's death was, was caused by these drugs. So given what we know now, why hasn't there been a broad recall of these drugs? And why is the medical profession still being censured in this way? Do you have any idea why that's occurring? Well, I can tell you, this comes back to the to the idea of, of there being malice behind the rollout of the vaccines and the suppression of vaccine injuries and deaths. Right. Now, it's very interesting when, when, when we look at, you know, when you look at the in the United States, the VAERS report, there's tens of thousands of deaths that have been uh, attributed to to the COVID-19 vaccines. And yet, uh, you know, the officials will say, well, the VAERS report isn't isn't proof. Uh, you know, anyone can submit reports and it's they're basically ignoring it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the approach that the U.S. officials have taken. They have more than enough evidence of harm with the deaths and injuries uh, to have halted these vaccines 
you know, almost within a month or two of the rollout of the vaccines back in early 2021. Now, if you look at Canada, Canada has taken a slightly different approach. Um, Health Canada to this day has received about 400 reports of deaths attributed to the vaccines. And what they have done is they said, okay, we're going to investigate all of these deaths. And they've rejected most of them as there being no link. Uh, They say that there's ongoing investigations of about 50 deaths. And to this day, they have admitted zero deaths uh, as directly caused by the COVID-19 vaccine. Incredible. Incredible. So, so this is a very deliberate uh, attempt to cover up the deaths. Now, I'll, I'll go one step further. You know, we talk about uh, the un, uh, Alberta, the number one cause of death in Alberta being unknown causes. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you, I have spoken to a number of physician colleagues who have informed me that they have filled out uh, COVID-19 vaccine injury reports uh, for their patients. They submitted it to Alberta Health Services, uh, to the Alberta Health Services Management and Executive. There, there's an office at Alberta Health Services that collects all of these reports and then blocks them. It doesn't send them to Health Canada. It sends them back as rejected. And then the physicians who submitted those reports are threatened, either indirectly or directly. Uh, They are, you know, they're being called into offices they're being investigated. They are having their licenses uh, looked at. And, and so there is, a, there is a suppression and a cover-up of vaccine injuries and deaths happening at the provincial level. And I suspect this is happening throughout the provinces uh, throughout Canada. So mm-hmm. not only is Health Canada an active participant in suppressing reports of COVID-19 vaccine injuries and deaths by claiming that there's no connection, um, even... Um, Dan Hartman, uh, the yes. uh, the father of the 17-year-old boy, Sean right, Hartman, yes. who died one month after taking a Pfizer vaccine, mm-hmm. even he received a report back saying that there's no evidence and there's no connection to the vaccine. And I had a look at that report, and I, and I realized that this report was completely medically unsound. There were assumptions being made in that report that were completely unscientific, medically incompetent, and it was a deliberate cover-up of that specific case. So we're seeing cover-ups at the federal level with Health Canada. We're also seeing cover-ups at the provincial level with the provincial health authorities. And unfortunately, this is the route that Canada has taken very blatant, uh, corrupt way of of covering up these injuries and deaths. Mm -hmm. You know, people watching this will say, well, you know, Dr. Macus, that's just anecdotal evidence. But we should remember that the plural of anecdote is data. And that as these cases accumulate, and sadly they do, more and more people every day are being harmed and killed by these drugs. Um, It it really is necessary for us to stand up and and speak loudly and, and ask the right questions as Dr. Macus is doing. And one of the ways that he's been doing that is he has a, a very successful uh, Substack. In fact, I noticed that uh, uh, Dr. Macus, you're a Substack bestseller. Did you know that? Congratulations! Thank you. Yes. So, so let's talk about the Substack. I I follow it closely. Um, I receive uh, usually one or two of these a day. So you you are prolific, and uh, these are all very very interesting, very edifying. But what what was the impetus for you starting the 
the Substack. And when when did you when did you initiate this project? I started Substack at the beginning of February, and I'll tell you sort of what led me to that um, course of action. I had been on Twitter, um, and I had been calling out the COVID-19 vaccine booster failure starting in August 2021. So, you know, I had stayed silent throughout 2020. You know, I had legal actions against Alberta Health Services. I was concerned, you know, if I started speaking out about the lockdowns and the masks that, you know, those would be used against me in in my legal actions. And then the Mm -hmm. vaccines rolled out and I thought, okay, well, they will roll out the first two doses and that'll be the end of it. And and then we'll never have to deal with this again. And to my horror, I realized by mid 2021 that they were never going to stop with these vaccines because they were then planning to roll out booster shots. They were talking already talking about doing booster shots every six months. Mm-hmm. And right around that time, Israel was the first country that had rolled out the COVID-19 booster shot. Mm-hmm. And within a month or two of rolling out those booster shots, Israel became the number one country in the world with the highest rate of COVID-19 infections. So it was very mm-hmm. clear I remember that. That, the yes. that the booster shot in Israel had failed. By August 2021, doctors were talking about booster failure in Israel uh, and then they started talking about a second booster shot. So I realized, I thought, okay, this is bad. Not only are these vaccines failing, but the governments are going to keep pushing them on us, uh, you know, and eventually they'll come for the kids, which they did. That's when I started speaking out about the dangers of COVID-19 vaccines. And I kept speaking out. And then I realized that Canadian doctors had been dying suddenly or unexpectedly you know, at a young age, in their 40s, 50s, they were taking their booster shot, and a week or two later, they were dying in their sleep. Right. There was a whole rash of them. That was last year, right? Exactly. And so I started speaking out about that. And uh, unfortunately, um, I had uh, raised alarm about the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines in kids 5 to 11 years old. And I talked about the the efficacy was basically virtually non-existent, but there was already evidence that the efficacy actually uh, after, you know, several months after the second dose became negative, which means the COVID vaccines were actually injuring the immune systems of children 5 to 11 years old. And this was back in March of 2022. And I said, these mRNA vaccines have to be taken off the market. And that statement, uh, Twitter shut down my account for that statement, suspended me, uh, took away all my posts. Mm-hmm. And I was banned from Twitter for 11 months. So was that uh, pre- the pre-Elon Musk takeover? Exactly. Okay. So I was completely banned from the platform for 11 months. And when Elon Musk took over and doctors like Dr. Robert Malone and Dr. Peter McCullough were being allowed back on the site, uh, my account wasn't being allowed back. And mm. so you know, here we were several months after Elon Musk took over and my account was not being allowed back. And I suspected that someone at Twitter was probably holding my account back because as a Canadian doctor, there has been a tremendous push to silence Canadian doctors right. specifically. Right? right. It's hard to silence yeah. all the American doctors, but Canadian mm-hmm. doctors, you know, there's there's less of us. There's only 12 colleges in Canada that can actually threaten doctors and, and silence them. Uh, And so I thought, you know, maybe I would never be allowed back on because I'm a Canadian doctor speaking out. Mm -hmm. And so I started my Substack as another way of 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 reaching, uh, reaching people and, you know, getting my information published. And then about a week after I started started my Substack, Twitter allowed me back on 
on the site. And so, mm-hmm. uh, but that was the, uh, because, you know, I was concerned that I might never be allowed back on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I started my Substack. And Substack allows you longer form uh, to publish uh, slightly longer articles, which, you know, especially to cover these COVID vaccine injuries, it, you know, you need to have right. a bit longer format to explain what's mm-hmm. happening, provide pictures and literature and so on. We, we've have, have had some of the uh, medical experts um, who were impacted by by the Twitter censorship on the program. Dr. Robert Malone, you mentioned, uh, has been on our program. Also, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Um, speaking of Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, and I realize that you're not an epidemiologist, but um, when COVID-19 first broke, as it were, in the pan- when the pandemic was, was declared, where, did you find yourself in the camp that sort of followed the the Great Barrington Declaration in that COVID-19 was was going to be best cured by focused focused attention to those who were most vulnerable? Uh, Or were you in the camp that that thought that, uh, you know, we really need to develop a vaccine quickly? I had actually signed the Great Barrington uh, Declaration I'm sure my signature is, is is there somewhere. I had signed it quite early on. Um, I remember almost as soon as it it came out, and I was absolutely mm-hmm. in that camp. Uh, you know, I believed at that time that the COVID nineteen vaccines would be rolled out in the high risk populations uh, right. that were at high risk of uh, COVID nineteen hospitalization or death, and that was really two groups of people. These were individuals uh, more than seventy years old who were in a long-term care home settings. Um, and you had another group uh, who were less than 70 years old, but had three or four comorbidities, uh, significant mm-hmm. medical comorbidities that put them at risk. And my assessment as a physician at that time was that th- these would be the groups that would receive the COVID-19 vaccine because they are at high risk. The rest of the population was not at high risk. Uh, when you looked at the survival rates very early on in the pandemic, and I believe it was Dr. Ioannidis that had put out this data of the survival rates broken down by age groups. And when right. you look at age groups of every, anywhere from you know 20 to 60, the survival of, of a COVID-19 infection was over 99.9%. Right. Uh, so it was clear that you know, this virus was not an issue for you know the the average you know young healthy adult uh, it was not not an issue at all in terms of uh, you know case fatality rate so i actually didn't see any medical reason to roll out covid-19 vaccines in in healthy adults uh, beyond the at risk population and i believe that's exactly what the great barrington declaration had talked about protect you know the at risk groups the vulnerable and the rest of us needed to get on with our lives. And that was the correct approach from the beginning. Right. So speaking about the vaccines, though, Dr. Macus, um, it appears that the risk of serious harm or injury and death from the vaccines goes up with successive boosters. Uh, firstly, is that, is, that, is, that, is that accurate? And secondly, if it is, why is that true? Or, or, is there a higher concentration of these spike proteins in the boosters or what, what's happening with the boosters that they seem to increase the risk of serious uh, injury and death? You know, a clear example of this is the Cleveland uh, Clinic study 
um, that was published a few months ago, uh, where they had looked at about 50,000 employees who had uh, taken various numbers of, of doses of COVID-19 vaccine, right. and they tracked them over time and saw, uh, you know, what was their risk of getting infected with COVID-19. And mm -hmm. the lowest risk were the unvaccinated, and the highest risk were those who had four or five COVID doses. And you could see <laughs> Isn't that something? Wow. a gradual increase the more doses you took, the higher your risk of getting infected with COVID-19 was over time. It's a very fascinating study. And the graph just, you know, it just hits you in the face when you see that there is definitely um, a damage that is happening to the immune system uh, the more COVID-19 vaccines you take. And, and, you know, we also knew this from the uh, studies that had looked at myocarditis where you know, there was a certain risk in young people of getting myocarditis with one shot, but that risk rose dramatically with the second shot. And that has also been shown with mm -hmm. booster shots as well. So you know, it's, it's very tricky when um, trying to get a handle on um, COVID-19 vaccine injuries. You cannot make a blanket statement because there are people who are walking around having taken five COVID-19 vaccines and they're perfectly fine that have, they have not had a side effect. So I think the first concept I like to put out there is that every shot is like a Russian roulette game. Oh yeah. Right? Is that, you know, there is a risk of, of being injured and sometimes of even, even dying from one shot. There, there are numerous examples of deaths from a single shot. Um, and then every time you take a shot, you are, basically increasing your risk. It's a cumulative mm -hmm. risk. Now, each batch is different. That is also another concept that I think is a very, very important. Because they're, because they're mass produced, right? They're mass produced. Yeah. And, and it seems that you know, there, there's huge variability in the batches in terms of the adverse events, in terms of the deaths, uh, mm -hmm. in terms of the quantity of the mRNA, the quality of the mRNA. It seems some batches have degraded mRNA. Some batches have very high concentration of mRNA. So, and in fact, there's also been, um, uh, you know, studies that have come out showing that there are over, um, I believe Pfizer has patented over a hundred different mutated forms of the spike protein. So you might not, you might not even be getting the spike. 500? So 500 mutations? 100. Over 100 mutated forms of the spike protein, which means you start off with a sequence mm -hmm. that is supposed to be the spike protein, but there's there was a mutation that happened somewhere along the way. So now you're not getting the spike protein anymore. You're getting a protein that is either similar, but it might have a different structure. It might have a different function in the body. And there's been you know several reports that have actually sequenced what is being translated in people. And it's not always the spike protein. It is mutated versions of, of the spike protein itself. So mm -hmm. it, it really is a Russian roulette. You know, you never know what you're getting uh, with each vaccine dose, but, you're, but you are increasing. Every time you take a shot, you are increasing your risk of vaccine injury or, or even death. Now, if it were just that, then that's bad. But if it were just that, that would be better. But the truth is, and bear with me, I mean, you're the cancer expert. I'm just a trial lawyer. But my understanding is that these vaccines also have adverse impacts upon the human immune system in many people. 
and that it, it uh, for lack of a better phrase, it knocks out or depletes their immune systems so that, for example, certain cancers that are being kept in check by a healthy immune system are now coming to the fore and are becoming very, very severe and, and are, are, are progressing very, very, very quickly and causing people uh, to, to be very sick and even die. Is, is, do, I have that, do I have that accurately or if I misstated that? Yeah, so I, I would say that's one category of vaccine injuries. And I, and I sort of break it down into about four main categories when looking at vaccine injuries. You've got the blood clots, uh, which we know right. is a problem with all the vaccines. Uh, then you've got the myocarditis and the inflammation of the heart, but also the inflammation of blood vessels. And you can get that inflammation anywhere in the body. Now, this can lead to aneurysms. Uh, these aneurysms can burst, so you can get brain bleeds. You can get burst aneurysms, like aortic aneurysms. Uh, so those are the sort of the heart. Dr. Mackis, yeah. sorry, could you just explain what is an aneurysm exactly? I hear that term a lot. I just want to make sure that people understand what that means. Certainly. So an aneurysm is, is, a, is a weakness in a blood vessel that develops right. usually when there's a damage that happens somewhere in the blood vessel and then the blood that circulates actually constantly, it actually increases that damage. So you could think of it as, let's say you have a garden hose and you've got a weakness in the garden hose and then the garden hose starts to bulge at that point of oh. weakness because of the pressure. Oh, yeah. And so the aneurysm is actually the bulge that happens in a damaged blood vessel. Now, of course, you know, you've got musculature and so on that can hold that in place for a while. But at some point, that weakness is at risk of bursting and then you get a bleed and these bleeds can be fatal. So sometimes okay. you will hear about this of people having brain bleeds and it'll be right. referred to as a hemorrhagic stroke. And when they do the imaging, they find that there's an aneurysm and the aneurysm was basically a weakness in the blood vessel. Now, the spike protein, when it gets expressed in the blood vessel, can cause this weakness because the spike protein wow. is inflammatory. So it brings the inflammation to that spot and the inflammation starts chewing at the at the blood vessel, causes that damage, creates the aneurysm, and then that aneurysm is at risk wow. of, of bursting. Thanks for that, that explanation. Sorry, when I interrupted you, you were describing the different categories of injury yeah. that can result. So you've, got, you've got the blood clots, you've got the cardiac, which is a huge one for sudden death. I believe the myocarditis it actually causes most of the sudden deaths, sudden cardiac deaths that we see. So the cardiac vessels, then you've got the neurological injuries. Mm -hmm. And we know that the, that the spike protein gets in the brain. It damages the blood brain barrier. Um, and then once it accumulates in the brain, it causes inflammation. Uh, and then you can get a whole host of neurological injuries, vision problems, hearing problems, you know, tinnitus, vertigo, paralysis, facial paralysis, movement disorders. You can get seizures and, and so on. Uh, and so that's another big category of vaccine injuries. And the last one is what I sort of refer to as the immune injuries. And some of those are autoimmune diseases. So people have worsening of, let's say, diabetes or thyroid uh, autoimmune issues, uh, worsening of the rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and so on. But the other types of immune injury can give rise to what are called turbo cancers. Okay. And these cancers um, are very interesting because uh, I believe that, you know, like you said, the immune system keeps your cancers in check and the mRNA vaccines damage the immune system by a number of different ways. They damage the T cells. They interfere with T cell signaling. Um, you will find that some people have T cells that are no longer functional. It's almost like they have AIDS. Really? Wow. Yeah. 
we know that uh, the mRNA vaccines interfere with the toll-like receptors on T-cells, again, responsible for immune signaling, uh, because that's the way they bypass the innate immune system. That's the way they were designed uh, to bypass. They actually block these receptors. Um, and, and so there are numerous mechanisms by which the mRNA damages the immune system. And in a, in a percentage of unfortunate people, if they lose their immune system protection against cancerous cells, and if they are unlucky to get a cancerous cell, this cancer cell multiplies very, very rapidly. So these tumors grow extremely rapidly mm -hmm. uh, and they spread all over the body very, very rapidly as well. So we're now seeing young people come down with breast cancers, lung cancers, you know, colon cancers um, that are extremely aggressive, that metastasize in a matter of months and kill these individuals in usually less than a year. And sometimes the cancers are so aggressive, if you're talking about the leukemias and lymphomas, because we know the spike protein gets into the bone marrow right. as well. Yeah. In some of these cases, the, you know, the time between diagnosis and death is a matter of days. And these cases are extremely shocking to me as an oncologist. Incredible. And, and, and of course, those cases would be reported as, as cancer deaths and not as vaccine injuries, correct? That's right. And so right now, you know, there's denial. Uh, there is a, almost an epidemic of vaccine injury denial in the medical establishment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they've downplayed the risks of myocarditis and blood clots. Um, you know, they've downplayed certainly the neurological injuries. Doctors have said that, you know, that's not happening. It's not from the vaccine. The vaccine doesn't get into the brain, even though we have pathology evidence now of spike protein all over the brain. Um, so we know it gets into the brain. Uh, but when it comes to these cancers, see, here's the thing is that it's very difficult to diagnose immune system injury causing a cancer. Now, Dr. Ryan Cole, the pathologist in the United States, has examined some of these tumors that have been growing extremely rapidly, and he has uh, stained them for the spike protein and found that there actually is spike protein in the tumor itself. Now, it shouldn't really? be there. Wow. Uh, we don't know what it's doing uh, inside that tumor. It's, you know, you could, you could guess that it's causing some kind of a stimulating you know, maybe it's stimulating it's, the growth. Of it's the at least suspicious, right? I mean, oh, no. here's a spike protein is, is standing at the scene of a crime, exactly. perhaps holding a weapon, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, but the doctors are not looking for this. Um, they are not staining for the spike protein. And that's why we have the number one cause of death in Alberta as cause unknown, because pathologists are not looking for the cause of death they're not staining for the spike protein, for example. So every every unexplained death in Alberta, let's say, let's say it's cardiac. Well, right. during autopsy, the pathologist should be staining for the spike protein in the heart. Now, you could, you could figure out whether the spike protein is from the virus because you could stain for other viral proteins, or you could figure out if it's from the vaccine when you stain for the other viral proteins and they're absent, but the spike protein is there, then you could say, well, that's the vaccine. Right. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that these tests can be done. They're being done in Germany, uh, for example, by Dr. Arne Burkhardt. They're being done in Japan. They're being done in Korea. They're actually publishing on the staining of, of, of the spike protein. In Japan, there's a dermatologist who has stained uh, skin lesions from shingles that were caused uh, as a viral reactivation following COVID vaccination. 
he's finding spike protein in the skin lesions. And he mm -hmm. said that the, you know, this reactivation of, of varicella zoster or herpes simplex skin lesions is being caused by the vaccines because the spike protein is present in those lesions. But we're not doing any of these kind of staining in Canada. And so the medical establishment is deliberately turning a blind eye and they don't want to find answers to mm -hmm. any of these you know, sudden deaths or, right. or injuries. How remarkable it is that uh, the that our, our public health authorities tried so hard to attribute almost any possible death, uh, any death possible to to the COVID nineteen virus, and yet the opposite, the very opposite, is true with respect to the vaccines. And these vaccines, we've been talking about this sort of at a at a microcosmic level, but there are societal impacts too. I note that uh, on your Substack, doctor, you reported recently about Air Transat flight TS739, a uh, service from Fort de France to Montreal, which is an Airbus, was incapacitated in flight. Uh, and that this is the seventh such incident this month. What's happening there in terms of air travel? That seems to me extremely dangerous given, you know, we've got hundreds of passengers on each one of these flights. What's happening in the airline industry? You know, that's another interesting phenomenon. You know, wherever I always say that wherever there were COVID-19 vaccine mandates, uh, basically disability and death followed. And so, you know, I'm seeing it, death and disability rise in, in, for example, among Canadian doctors. And I've actually been able to track a 53% increase in Canadian doctor mortality in 2022 compared to 2019. Now, a lot of doctors... Very Canadian sad story, yeah. A lot of oh, Canadian terrible. doctors are on their fourth or fifth COVID-19 vaccine if they follow the Health Canada guidelines, which requires you to have a booster shot in the past six months. And, and this shocks a lot of people. People don't realize that most doctors and nurses are on their fourth or fifth COVID-19 vaccine, and they're still I'm mandated sure. to, to continue taking them and to stay mm. up to date. Mm -hmm. But for example, when it comes to the pilots, now that's a very, uh, that's a very interesting situation because we had vaccine mandates uh, that were implemented, uh, I believe, by the vast majority of, of airlines. For right. example, WestJet, I had reported on a WestJet pilot, 39 years old, who died a few weeks ago, who died suddenly. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was researching into the WestJet's policy, they had boasted about a 95% vaccination rate for mm -hmm. their employees, COVID vaccination. Right. And in the past few months, there have been there, there's just there's, there's been an increase in uh, medical incidents of pilots happening in flight. You know, so I researched these events in 2021 and, you know, there were some. And in 2022, there were some as well. But in the last few months, it, it, it appears that these medical incidents are skyrocketing. In the month of March alone, there were seven pilot incapacitations in flight on commercial airlines, one of those pilots died. It was actually a British Airways, Airways pilot died just before a flight from Cairo to London. He had really? actually died in the hotel in Cairo on the morning that he was supposed to fly mm. this big Airbus uh, to London. And mm. he had collapsed in the hallway of his hotel. They did CPR for an hour and they couldn't save him. He died. Um, oh. These other pilot incapacitations uh, some of them were, were actually described as heart attacks. Some of them were just described as, you know, uh, pilot or co-pilot collapsed in flight. 
on the Southwest Airline um, incident, there was actually a non-Southwest pilot commuting in the back who was actually brought to the front, took over the plane and landed the plane. Now, fortunately, all of these planes have been landed safely because, you know, we have two pilots um, in the cockpit. But, you know, I've, I've described these incidents. They seem to be increasing in frequency. And I'm, I'm really concerned that pilots who are suffering from COVID-19 vaccine injuries, an injury to their heart, for example, uh, that we might run into a situation where an incapacitation of a pilot like this will actually bring down uh, a yes. large commercial wow. plane yeah. with, with, you know, 200 plus people on yeah. board. And, you know, that would be a real tragedy. And it seems oh, like it's just a matter of time before we see one of these incidents yeah. happen. I've, I've heard that some insurers actually share your concern and that and they're not threatening, but there's saber rattling that unless this situation is resolved with pilots, the insurers are saying, we're not going to insure these flights. A lot of people might not realize that each each flight for on every airline, there's insurance attached to it in, just in case the worst case scenario happens. And uh, if that insurance ever left, that would that would effectively ground those planes, wouldn't it? Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we hear about the relaxing of rules for pilots and their physical exams um, where, you know, they, they now they've widened the ECG parameters that they consider normal. Um, I've been informed that there are still several um, airlines, uh, I believe, in Canada that will allow you to do a physical virtually. And they've extended those virtual um, visits, which again, it's you cannot do a proper physical exam virtually for you know for a pilot. That's just completely unacceptable medically. Um, so there doesn't seem to be any sort of concern uh, either from the uh, the FAA or Transport Canada about these incidents. In fact, they're burying these incidents. There was there was a pilot on Tucker Carlson's show who described uh, a heart attack that he had. Um, I, I forget if it was, uh, you know, just before landing or just after landing a, a large commercial plane and the authorities, you know, ignored it. Uh, he tried to reach out and they simply were not interested in, in, in the incident. Um, you know, a few months ago, there was actually a push in the mainstream media talking about reducing the number of pilots from two to one in the cockpit, you know, to save money or because they have shortages of, of healthy pilots. Uh, so I really don't like the, the direction that, that this is going. And I've also reported on my Substack about school bus drivers who right. are now having incidents, cardiac incidents, and they're crashing school buses. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. And so, for example, in the past month, there were four school buses that had crashed because the driver had a medical emergency or a heart attack or some kind mm. of an incident. Uh, now, this is happening, you know, some happened in Italy, some happened in France, uh, United States. But imagine a school bus full of kids, the bus driver becomes incapacitated. In some of these situations, uh, there was either a child or a, a teacher that had grabbed the hold of the wheel and just steered the bus, you know, to crash, I guess, in a, in a safe manner. But again, it, it, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a matter of time before we might see some kind of a mm -hmm. catastrophe claiming a lot of lives. Right. I mean, it, it just shows, you know, the computations and permutations of bad decisions and how they extrapolate out uh, in ways that are really, really disturbing. Um, and it's not just Alberta. I, I note in your Substack you talked about Nova Scotia, uh, record excess deaths in Nova Scotia now 
uh, one in a thousand the population died in 2022 and that um, that this spike in deaths is not being talked about. You also talked about uh, COVID-19 vaccine injury to the liver. Uh, how a, a, a brave Ontario mother shared a story of a vaccine injured boy um, and also a 22-year-old young woman in the Army National Guard uh, develops liver disease three weeks after the Pfizer vaccine. The vaccine. So what's the connection between the vaccines and the liver? Did you, have you found anything more about that? You know, I, I would encourage anyone who's who's interested in this to look at the uh, Japanese biodistribution study uh, done by Pfizer. Uh, and I believe it was obtained as a Freedom of Information request by Dr. Byron Brittle uh, from Ontario mm-hmm. and, and, right. and, and was released um, subsequently. And, and this shows you that the spike protein uh, accumulates in certain organs preferentially. So you've got, you know, the liver, the kidneys, you get a significant delivery of the spike protein to these organs, uh, you know, the heart, the bone marrow, the testes, uh, ovaries as well. Uh, so people can look that up and see that the accumulation. Now, here's what's interesting about these biodistribution studies is that, you know, they did it on, I believe it was rats and they or mice. And they looked at it, you know, over a 48 hour period. And what you see is the accumulation is just going up and then they stop. So, you know, and then they let's say they, they, they kill the animals. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And they don't look any further. So you know, the accumulation just goes up. And so we don't know what the accumulation looks like a week later, two weeks later, a month later. You know, it would seem that um, the spike protein, there's been several studies showing that the spike protein is detected in the blood for several months after COVID-19 vaccination. So these organs are continually getting, uh, these lipid nanoparticles with mRNA are getting deposited uh, over and over as it circulates in your bloodstream. And so once you get deposition of these into any organ, well, let's take liver or kidneys, um, then you've got, you get the expression of the spike protein. And then that, uh, that protein is a toxin. That's an external toxin that shouldn't be there. It shouldn't be in that organ. That toxin then grabs the attention of the immune system then you get infiltration of immune cells rushing to deal with that that spike protein and you get inflammation and then once you get inflammation you get all kinds of problems so you know these liver injuries sometimes are extremely severe when the inflammation gets severe enough you get to the point where the damage done like in this case of the ontario boy who's about 12 years old the damage done is so severe that that he'll need a liver transplant and in fact, he's actually being sent to the United States because the sort of the medical technology in Canada is not advanced enough to treat him. He's going to need, you know, advanced treatment in special clinics in the United States. Mm-hmm. And the mother wow. came out and said this happened because of the vaccine. And, and, and she knows mm-hmm. that she is going to face a lot of backlash for saying that. Mm-hmm. But she had the courage to come out and say, you know, he was previously healthy and this happened after he had his vaccine. Well, speaking of courage and, and speaking out, I noticed that a story about that was published uh, in late November of last year where you called upon the Medical Association to investigate the sudden deaths of 80 young doctors. Um, have you had any response to that, to that inquiry that you've launched and or have, has anything been done about the public concern that you expressed about the deaths of these young doctors? 
So I've sent a total of three letters to the Canadian Medical Association uh, in September when it was 32 doctors, in October when it was 80 doctors, and in January when it was 132 Canadian doctors who died suddenly or unexpectedly since the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccines. They have not responded to me at all. They have not even sent a PR person to give me a response, nothing. It's there. They've ignored me completely. And I've sent them photographs of each physician who died unexpectedly, their name, what kind of physician they were, where they were practicing, any information I had about their deaths, they ignored it. They did come out on Twitter a few months ago and they addressed uh, this issue indirectly. They said that there is disinformation circulating about Canadian doctors being harmed by COVID-19 vaccines, that it's not happening and that they're recommending everyone to go and get their booster shot. And that was the only comment that they ever made on this issue. They refuse to even investigate it and they have the data. So when I say that Canadian physicians died at a rate of 53% higher last year than before in 2019, that's based on a database of about 2,200 physician deaths that I've tracked over the past four years mm. and compared to the previous years. And physician mortality is rising every single year. There was a bit of a rise in 2020 when there were no vaccines and we had, you know, the pandemic at its worst. So there was a bit of a rise mm -hmm. in mortality. There was a much more significant rise in 2021 and an even bigger rise in 2022. Half of the data is actually taken from the Canadian Medical Association In Memoriam website, which they have now taken down. They have removed it. Uh, they've removed all the data for the previous years, so Canadians can't go and compare for themselves. They're, they, they're conducting a cover-up. Now, I can tell you that I, I received my Canadian Medical Association journal uh, for the um, April uh, 2023 edition, and I will um, show it to you. So they put out a journal uh, once a month. That's the Canadian Medical right. Association journal. And if you go on the back cover... There is a full page Pfizer ad. Oh my goodness. On the back cover. Pfizer Flex. I'm not even sure what Pfizer Flex. Like this is the full page back cover of the Canadian Medical Association Journal. Um, and so no. you know, I guess I guess the ad money that they make from Pfizer is more important than the deaths of their own physician members. Mm -hmm which you know is horrific if you want if you think about it but that's the tragic reality that we're living in now wow that that is reprehensible yeah doctor i have one last question before we turn to our reading list and that is what what is the prospect for you personally and professionally in terms of you returning to active medical practice is that something that you that you desire to do and that you you foresee happening in the future or have you have you sort of turned the page and have uh, have have sort of gone full full blown into into medical journalism? You know that's interesting. I'm you know I I love being a doctor. It, it's you know what I've spent uh, decades doing. Um, I've wanted to be a doctor you know ever since uh, grade ten biology class when I was dissecting a you know a frog in biology class. Um, so that's what I love that, to do. That experiment didn't go so well for me, as I recall. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it's something I love to do and it's something I would uh, love to get back to. But, you know, we're, we're in a situation in Canada where the colleges of physicians and surgeons are so corrupt that I mm -hmm. believe they have to be dissolved and, and canceled. 
-hmm. and removed because it's the colleges that have threatened doctors and silenced doctors from speaking up about COVID-19 vaccine injuries and deaths. Before the vaccines mm -hmm. were rolled out, they were threatening doctors about masks, about mm -hmm. speaking out about lockdowns. So these colleges have committed very serious crimes. And these entities um, control the medical licenses of every doctor in Canada. Mm -hmm. So we actually have an opportunity in Alberta uh, with the Danielle Smith's conservative government to actually tackle this corruption of our healthcare system head on. And we could be the first province in Canada to dissolve the colleges, to basically constitute a new medical board that protects doctors, protects nurses, restores the Hippocratic Oath, restores right. the uh, concepts of uh, bodily autonomy, the concepts of informed consent, uh, mm -hmm. and really the, restores the sanctity of the physician-patient relationship, which has been violated by the mm -hmm. public health authorities, by the politicians, um, and by our healthcare leaders. And we could actually lead Canada in bringing back the ethical practice of medicine uh, in Canada, mm -hmm. and, and we, Alberta could be the first province to do that. If, if Danielle Smith commits to bringing back the ethical practice of medicine in Canada, I would happily mm -hmm. assist in, in bringing that about. And then once we have a, um, once we actually have an environment where doctors can be them, their ethical selves again, and practice medicine ethically again. First of all, we would get an influx of healthcare workers from all over Canada and the United States. If we open yes, the doors- and good ones, yeah. And good ones, yeah, exactly. If we open the doors and we provided a safe environment for doctors and nurses to practice in, we would be flooded with healthcare workers from all over Canada. You know, in the way that Florida is being flooded by, you know, by people who uh, believe, still believe in, in ethics, in medicine. And right. so I would be happy to go back into medicine under those circumstances. But if, if our medical system remains corrupt, uh, if Alberta Health Services continues to threaten doctors, to punish doctors, to abuse doctors and nurses, I mean, you know, they fired thousands of healthcare workers for not submitting their vaccination status. Right. If right. the corruption continues, I, I do not want to go back into medicine mm. under those circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, when Dr. Bhattacharya was here, he commented that perhaps one of the greatest casualties of COVID was public confidence, confidence in, in public health, which was very, was rated very, very high pre-COVID. And uh, sadly, what you say about the medical college is not unique to the medical college. Of course, there's a highly publicized case involving Dr. Jordan Peterson, where yep. he is being sanctioned by, by his, his professional college. We had a couple of very courageous lawyers on this program recently. We talked about uh, problems they're experiencing with the Law Society. We've had uh, a chiropractor on here, uh, Dr. Wall, who was uh, sanctioned by his college and suspended because he wouldn't wear a mask while treating patients, even though none of his parents had any problem with it. And we've even interviewed uh, university professors who have been on here, and they've been, uh, they've been fired and dismissed because of the stances that they've taken that, are, that go against the sort of woke uh, a messaging uh, ideology of their of their profession. So unfortunately, this seems to be something, uh, the abandonment of truth, um, it seems to be something that is rampant in our public institutions. And, and of course, it really, it really needs to change. 
But Dr. Mackis, this has just been a, an incredible hour with you. I was so grateful that you've spent this time with us. I know I've learned a great deal. Uh, you've certainly explained to me in greater detail some of the things that I read uh, regularly, in fact, daily on your Substack. Please, please keep producing that. I think it's just, it's just excellent material and so helpful to those of us who who don't understand uh, you know, all the medical terms and things like that. So this is the part of the show where we sign off and we have something called a reading list. I'm going to ask you for a selection or two uh, that you would recommend to people. It might be a website or, or, uh, or, or something of that nature or a book that you think would be helpful. I've got a couple of books here I'm going to mention. One, uh, the first one is kind of obscure. It's called Behind the, the Green Mask, UN Agenda 21. Um, and this book, the, the uh, description is, uh, if you've been uh, wanting an interesting, clearly written how-to manual for uh, identifying and fighting UN Agenda 21, here it is. All the information you need to understand what is happening in your town, why it's happening, uh, who is behind it, and what you can do to stop it behind the green mask. UN, UN Agenda 21 is 172 pages of truth, part history, part current events, part hand-to-hand combat, and uh, part blueprint for keeping your freedom. This is one book that you'll you'll put to work immediately. Uh, so uh, that's a very interesting book, and it's, it's a relatively quick read. The second one is probably one that's better known. It's called The Great Reset and the War for the World. This was published last year by Alex Jones, who is a well-known um, uh, uh, American journalist. And here, uh, the book, uh, the description is if you... You want to know what's happening in the world. Uh, this is the one book you must read now. Alex Jones is the most censored man on the planet. And you should ask yourself why that is. There's a powerful authoritarian takeover in process, in process that is seeking to capture the entire human system and turn it into an artificial factory farm uh, controlled system. We are in a war for the future of the world. And this book you'll hear from the world's elites from their own mouths what they are planning for you and your families, and you will learn what you can do to fight it. From central bankers, corporate billionaires, and corrupted government officials, global elites have been organizing a historic war on humanity under a transhumanist scientific dictatorship. And of course, what we've been talking about today with Dr. Macus fits squarely within that, and within the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, its role in the Great Reset, and of course, the vaccines themselves. So those are two books that we're recommending today. So with that, I'll turn it over to Dr. Mackis and see if he has any suggestions for us. You know, I've been very, um, very impressed by uh, Edward Dodd. Um, you know, he's a former BlackRock hedge fund manager. Who's, he's independent now, and he's been going over insurance data and looking at uh, really a, a way of quantifying the vaccine, COVID vaccine injuries, the disabilities and deaths, uh, and just doing it out of insurance data. Right. So this is not, you know, when when I bring stories to people on my Substack, I bring anecdotal stories, uh, right. things that are happening recently. And, you know, these are anecdotal stories. And some people say, well, this has been happening, you know, always and it's nothing new. Um, I see it differently. I see this as, you know, as significant increase compared to stories I've seen in the past. But if you know, if you want to sort of dive into the more the data behind the the vaccine injuries and deaths, I think Edward Dodd's book "Cause Unknown," uh, yes. I think is a great book to check out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, 
a book by um, Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, I think The Real Anthony right. Fauci would be yes. another great one to check out. He's running and for you know, president now. Have you heard? He's running for president. Yeah. And it's it's great because he's going to be exposing, uh, you know, uh, just a wealth of information about the vaccines and injuries and what's been happening behind the scenes. He obviously has a tremendous amount, a wealth of knowledge mm -hmm. uh, that he brings to the table. And, you know, there's some great sub stacks. Um, I love, you know, Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, yes. Dr. Paul Alexander is, is fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Steve Kirsch, you know, I enjoy, uh, you know, Steve Kirsch's material that he, he brings to the table. Pierre Corey, Jessica Rose. Um, you know, so there are some, uh, Dr. Robert Malone, of course. Uh, so there's, there's some, you know, tremendous, um, you know, individuals who've been, you know, really laying out uh, what's been happening for, for several years now. Uh, so people can check out those substacks. Um, you know, there's my substack too at uh, macsmd.substack.com. Um, I'm going to continue uh, bringing, you know, these, these, these very difficult, sometimes they're very difficult and tragic stories. Uh, you know, sometimes I tell my wife, I say, you know, watch out tomorrow because, uh, you know, this is going to be a, this is going to be a heavy one. And, and I'm, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but, but, you know, I think these stories have to be told these people, um, you know, some of the really horrifically injured uh, people, you know, they were not given a voice. They were not no. given a voice. They were not given a chance. And I'm trying to give them a voice and, and, and really, you know, if it can help one other person, one other parent, uh, let's say save their child or one other young person, you know, to save their, their life or, or, you know, their health, uh, it's worth it. So wow. I'll keep, uh, I'll keep writing those articles as well. Yes. Well, thank you for doing that. And, uh, I think your, your Substack uh, really is, is an oasis of truth, uh, you know, in, in, in a desert really uh, of mass media, which, which doesn't provide us with any useful information about the truth of what's happening with, COVID-19 and these drugs. Um, I'm hopeful that with your Substack, at some point you'll find time to write a book. I'm sure it'll be a bestseller. But in any case, uh, doctor, I want to thank you so much for being our special guest today, for sharing your knowledge and your time, and really for all of the courageous work that you are doing. It's very obvious from talking to you and from reading the articles in your Substack why you're doing it. Uh, this is a selfless uh, act on your part. Uh, and that you're really interested in the health and welfare of Albertans and Canadians. So God bless you for the work that you're doing, and please keep doing it. Thank you very much, and I appreciate you for having me on.